Having Sage approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system. And I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, math, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Recently, we had some family visiting, and on our way to dinner, we popped on an episode of Mysteries About True Histories, math, with my niece and nephew in the car. In this episode, Max and Molly travel back in time to solve a mystery from the order of the problem solvers, along with lots of kid humor mixed in. It was a fun way to enjoy our car ride together and opened the door for some interesting conversation about history and understanding some of the mysteries of the past. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and meal times, and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Voices of Your Village. You're listening to episode number 64. Guys, we made it. This is part four in the last part of our adoption series. Today I'm hanging out with Renee and we're chatting all about foster care. I was nervous about this one and I learned a lot about foster care. We also had some tough conversations about this. It's not an easy one to talk about. There are a lot of feelings around the foster care system, and I am jazzed to have had the opportunity to sit down with someone who was down to get raw and real with me. If you missed yesterday's live workshop on anxiety, we talked about anxiety in parenthood in responding to kiddos who are struggling with anxiety. Some cool new research just came out of Yale that showed that the best support for kiddos who are struggling with anxiety is providing the parents with tools to help them. This was more effective than therapy and medication, which is crazy cool that we can build the parenting toolbox for responding to anxiety in order to help these tiny humans. Very cool. And I want to dive into it. It is the first topic for tiny humans, big emotions. And we covered it live yesterday in the membership. You can still have access to the video. Obviously, it won't be live. You will have the recorded workshop from yesterday if you join Tiny Humans Big Emotions. Now, the next topic is going to be responding to tantrums in a way that builds emotional intelligence. It's a two-hour workshop, and that'll be happening in May. So you can join now and check out the anxiety one if that is a part of your life. And uh, guys, one in three kiddos will struggle with anxiety before adulthood is what this research out of Yale showed. So this is really, really important that we're talking about this and building the parenting toolbox for responding to it. So if you want to dive in deeper, you can go to tinyhumansbigemotions.com to learn more about the membership and come join us. 
Before we dive in, will you do me a quick favor and just screenshot this and share it over on the gram when you're done or on Facebook? Guys, this podcast is now in 37 different countries, which is amazing and all because of you. You are helping me spread the word about it so that we can raise more emotionally intelligent humans all around the freaking world. And I'm jazzed about it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being in this village with me. I am so jazzed and I can't wait to connect with you over on social media. Tag seed.and.so on Instagram. So is S-E-W like a quilt. I'll come say hi to you. I love to see where you're tuning in from. All right, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey everyone, welcome to Voices of Your Village. This is the fourth and last episode in our adoption series. And to be honest, this is the one I'm the most nervous about. Almost every question that came in was pretty fear-based. And from an emotional development perspective, I totally get that. And I have a lot of fear around this too. So it's gonna be a pretty raw, real and vulnerable episode. I'm really jazzed to be here with Renee. Renee, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. It's uh, here in Vermont, finally feeling like maybe there will be warmth someday. Uh, oh. So that's jazzy. <laughs> <laughs> Renee, can you tell me a little bit about your family unit? Yeah. Um, my name is Renee. I'm uh, 31. I had to think about that one. I'm a stay-at-home mom to three little kiddos, a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a three-year-old. My husband and I have been married 10 years in October, and he works in electrical production. Very neat. And what brought you into foster care? So I was never one of those people that, like, adoption was always my goal, like, something I wanted to do. Kind of wasn't on our radar. We went to start a family and that didn't happen. We looked at fertility treatments. We did a lot, but had decided ultimately we didn't want to spend 20, 30 plus thousand dollars when we knew there were kids that needed homes right now. So when we entered foster care, our goal was actually not to adopt. It was we could be helping kids that needed a home right now while we decided what our future plans were and things went a little differently. That's awesome. I'm really, really excited to hear about it. Can we chat first about the foster care system in general? Because I think there's just a, there's a lot to dive in. And, and through the adoption series, we've covered other forms of adoption and other ways of supporting these tiny humans um, and, and building a family unit. But the foster care system is a whole different ballgame. Yes. And it's hard because it varies so much state by state. Uh, that was so one of my questions. I do talk to people. I always kind of preface this. Well, in Arizona, and even then by county, I say, in my experience in Arizona, this is what has happened. So That's, yeah, it's, it's a system that unfortunately, I don't know that there's many states that are like, great, it's going really well. It's a broken system across the board. And so I think it's born out of, you know, tragedy and loss and heartbreak. And so you're going to have problems no matter what. 
but yeah, so it's, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Yeah. And you know what? I, I'm a systems thinker. And so for me, when I see broken systems, I'm like, oh, I got to fix it. I got to figure out how to fix it. And I don't know the answers here to foster care. So let's dive into this. What is the overall goal of foster care? Like, the, yeah. yeah, the goal of foster care is always reunification. Um, that's why I kind of cringe when people choose foster care as their number one way to adopt. Because while that absolutely can happen, and there are cases where you can adopt children that are already severed or terminated, um, it's not the goal of foster care. The goal of foster care is to reunify the original family or whatever version of that is safe for the kids. Okay. So that, I think that's a very key thing to know because it's heavy, man. It is. It's heavy for me for a couple things that come to mind immediately is like, we know from an emotional development standpoint that attachment is at the cornerstone of development. Yes. And so losing secure attachment, especially in early childhood, scares the living daylights out of me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Emotional development and even just development on the road, how we know that emotional development affects um, so many other things, academic success and all that jazz. Yes. (laughs) And so I guess like, how do we do this? How do we navigate the attachment piece while also looking to reunify with, I'm assuming biological family is what? Correct. We, yeah, I, I've, I've noticed depending on how you adopt, there's birth family, first family, typically biological family is what's commonly used. Sometimes birth family, but for foster care, it's biological because that can look different. It can be grandparents. It can be any kind of version of bio, biology. Got it. And um, so that we're saying that like, the biology here trumps whatever else. Correct. So for example, if the biological mom, mother and father cannot get the child back for whatever reason, grandma, aunts, uncles, cousins, everyone would trump foster family, at least here. Okay. Wow. Um, I gotta say it doesn't align with my value system. Right. <laughs> it's a real doozy for me. It's uh, hard. <laughs> It is hard. It is hard because A, I think there are so many more things that make a family other than biology. I agree. And B, again, this attachment piece of like, I read a statistic at some point that, and you can tell me like, no, that's way off. That's not what I know. But I saw one at some point early on that said like an average, a a kid goes through an average of four to six different moves while they're in the foster care system. I can say that's true. Yes. Um, it's going to vary if you know, they're an infant, but especially we've had older kiddos that they've gone home, they've come back, they've kind of bounced around. They've been in group homes, foster homes. We had someone, he was on his eighth placement by the time he came to us. And it was from no fault of his own. He hadn't, you know, he didn't have extreme behaviors that disrupted or someone who wasn't, it was just how it worked out. Oh man. I can't eat like that. That just blows my mind. Okay. Well, Let's chat about some of these logistics of what it looks like if somebody's like, yeah, okay, cool. I am not trying to adopt through foster care necessarily. I, I do want to give these kiddos a temporary home. Yeah. Um, foster care was birthed out of a temporary home, right? It was homeless kids in Correct. New York City who were pulled into temporary homes. So if, if that's the mindset you're going into this as, let's talk about some logistics. Did you have to go through specific like training or things to be a foster care parent? So much. Um, The actual training process here takes about six to eight months. So we start off as an orientation. We do 30 hours of classes specifically for 
foster care prep. It's not like, you know, the logistics, it's training us for trauma. It's for attachment, um, all kinds of stuff. We had physicals, we had background checks, fingerprint clearance, all of that. You go through the ringer, um, home studies, kind of all of those. We have to lock up every medication, every cleaner, everything like that. Um, so there's a lot to that. And then on top of that, we have continue, continuing education we have to do every year. Wow. That's, uh, it's wild how like you, if you birth a child, you just go home and they're like, good luck. And if, <laughs> if you foster a child, they're like, we're going to go through all the things and you get also like you get all the support too, like parents. Yes. Support. We do have a lot of support available to us. Um, it's not always, I would say ideal support, but we, we do have a lot of avenues that we can get for, you know, what we need. Yeah, that's rad. Is there, for kiddos in foster care, is there like guaranteed mental health support or like are, are there folks, I guess, outside of a social worker who's doing the logistics potentially and yes. not to knock on social workers, they obviously yeah. do more than logistics. Um, my, experience, my personal experience with folks who have had kids in foster care, the social worker was like assigning the logistics. Correct. Um, but is there mental health support beyond there, like therapists they're seeing, things like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if it's if we need it, we can do that. I've had therapists that come in the home and do behavioral coaching. Um, we've had outside therapy. We've had, you know, of course, the occupational, physical, all of those kind of therapies. That's the number one thing I would say, at least Arizona's doing really well, is they have amazing medical and mental health coverage. If I need it, I can find it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yes. Because let's get real, like we all need mental health. <laughs> Everybody needs a therapist. And if you're not working with secure attachment, you for sure need no. it. So, I agree. Yes. Well, that's good. Um, yes. So what about that financial side of things? Who's paying for what? So um, foster parents, before you get licensed, you have to provide financial statements to prove that you do not need this income. Um, and I call it, it's technically reimbursement. So I use the word income incorrectly. Um, what it works out to, I'm super open about it. You can look up any state in the country, you get $19 a day to cover everything. So when people say you're fostering for the money, I always laugh that there's a lot more you could do for money. That's going to be a lot more profitable. Oh, totally. $19 includes me buying diapers and all of that stuff. Perfect. Um, 19 bucks a day. 19 bucks a day. That's what we get. Um, and then we do have the medical coverage is completely covered by the state. So we don't have to pay copays, anything like that. Prescriptions are all covered. And then we do get for infants and young children WIC. So um, they get their formula and things like that. If you need more than that amount of formula, that comes out of your $19 a day. So almost all of my kids need more than the, what they get. But we do have a lot of support. I would say if you're doing foster care correctly, you're not in the green every month for sure, especially when they come with nothing. Right. Wow. Um, I don't even think you can eat here in Burlington for 19 bucks a day. I agree. Um, okay. What, hmm, let me try that again. How many kiddos have you fostered? We've had 15 in about four and a half years. Yeah, we closed our license last March 1st, um, the day after my third adoption. Um, but yeah, in four and a half years, we had 15 kids. On average, how long have they spent with you uh, apart from the ones that you ended up adopting? Yes. Um, we, everything from less than 24 hours to almost two years. So yeah. And that was from infancy. Like I went to the NICU and got them all the way up to, we had a nine-year-old. Wow. Yeah. How is it 
from your own perspective and standpoint, how do you say goodbye? It's, I, I'm always very honest with people, just like with any adults, there are some goodbyes that are going to be easier than others. Um, it's obviously you care for that kid, you get extremely protective of them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard because when foster care goes well, that means you're going to have your heart ripped out. Mm -hmm. That means that child that you have loved on, that you've treated as your own, um, cared for 24 hours a day is going to go somewhere else. So it's hard. I always tell people there's no way, way to prepare yourself for it. And there's no right or wrong way. Some people, the way they can heal is immediately jumping in and helping another kiddo that needs it. And other ones, they have to step back and take a break. It just depends on what works for your family. Yeah. I feel like probably the jumping in and doing another one is really just like, I don't want to process this hard emotion. Let me do it again, which is totally fair. I think I'm I, raising my hand. I think I would do the same thing. Um, cause I would not want to process that. Hard I've emotion. done both. And yeah, no, it's, it, it will catch up with you eventually. Yep, for sure. It always does. Yep. Yeah, it always does. Okay. So let's chat about some of the challenges apart from like saying goodbye. And, and we talked about the financial challenge. What else are we looking at here? Um, it's really hard when you as a, a lot of times as a foster parent, you're looked at as just the babysitter, even though you're with that child 24 hours a day, with the exception of when they're on a visit, you're the one that's seeing all of the behaviors or all of the emotion and things. And some judges in the court system, they'll take that very seriously and ask you for opinions and other ones are sit down, you are the babysitter and you don't get to share what you're seeing or if you do it's discredited that you're biased or something like that so um that i would say is really hard and just when the system doesn't go well when a child leaves and you know it's not the best thing and then they end up coming right back it's hard because you just now created a whole new set of trauma and so i would say that's the hardest is that when you don't agree with what's going on you don't get that opinion you are not a legal party in the case here Interesting. So I guess who is really deciding that? Are, are, are we often like waiting for someone to get sober or to get out of jail or to huh. have another family member step up to the plate? And then once that happens, it's like almost an automatic or is there more to it than that? So um, how it happens here is when a child comes into care within three days, there is a court hearing. And that is when they kind of will make sure one, does the child need to be in care? Is there a better option? Is there a family member? Things like that. Um, and then it kind of can go anyway. So the state is who kind of guides what the plan needs to be, whether a parent needs to get sober, whether they need to get out of a bad situation, whether they need to find housing, whatever the case may be. And there's a whole multitude of what could happen. Um, and then ultimately the decision is up to the judge. So there's in the courtroom, there's the state's attorney, there's the caseworker, there's the child has an attorney assigned to them, there's the biological family's attorney. So there's a lot of parties involved, but it all falls on the judge. All right. Seems very uh, subjective. Yes, it is. So, and that's the thing, you could have an amazing judge or you could have a judge that's not your favorite. And so yeah. it just all comes down to them. Wow. Um, okay. So have you had then kiddos, if they leave your care and then things go awry, whatever happens, yes. will they be replaced with you or are they like rehomed to another spot? So they just, in the last several years, placed or set a law where if a child comes back into care, 
the previous foster home always gets the call first. Mm. Now, whether we have a bed available, because um, we would foster up to four children at a time, and so we may not legally have the space for them, but we at least get, I call it first dibs per se, or first yeah. priority. Um, the only thing that would trump that is we had a little boy that came back that previously was with us. Well, when he came back into care, they were able to find a home for him and all his siblings where he previously mm -hmm. separated. So siblings, if they can stay together, that should happen at all costs. So, yeah, I like that. Yes. Cool. Cool. So what are the positives? Like I, it's hard for, I think we can chat about like the hardship of this because oh, yeah. like you said, it's a broken system and there are so many challenges around this. What are the positives here? Um, the How we have grown as a person just with these kids is amazing. Or even something I didn't anticipate is how much we would grow dealing with the biological family. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of times, you know, I'm not going to lie, you have a lot of animosity to somebody that could have put their child or done whatever had happened to their child. How you could, you know, have compassion for them. And you absolutely can. I have seen parents brought in in a jumpsuit and shackles, and I was sobbing because you can see the love for their child. Hmm. Um, and so it definitely, I can't, like, yeah, it, being a foster parent has definitely the best thing that ever happened to me because it dramatically changed my worldview. Um, and then these kids, I remember we had a little boy one time, we were decorating the Christmas tree, and I asked him, I said, do you like decorating Christmas trees? And he was seven. And he goes, you know what? I've never had one. And so stuff like that just melts my heart. Like, yeah, I, I've had the privilege of taking babies home from the hospital and spending those first precious few days with them and things like that. I wouldn't trade that for the world. That is worth all of the, all the craziness that comes with foster care. Yeah, wow. The compassion is, that's huge. I, to be honest, it is hard for me. I think that everybody's doing the best they can with the toolbox they have. Yes. And also... I don't believe that biology is what makes a family. And I don't think that it's always in a child's best interest uh, to, sim to to follow biology first. I agree. Uh, and it's an unpopular opinion sometimes. There's people that feel at all costs it should be biology. And I've seen firsthand that that's not always the best. Yeah, yeah. Well, you'll, if you've listened to Voices of the Village, you know, I, uh, not really ever going to not share my opinion. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I think that we need to be having these hard conversations more. I think a lot of times we've, we've been taught, you know, don't talk about politics or religion or sex or money or things that might make somebody feel uncomfortable. Yes. Uh, and I think it's all BS. So I'll <laughs> chat about those hard things. I think we yep. need to learn how to have hard conversations. I agree. Where we do have hard feelings. I think that's important. So I will say my potentially unpopular opinion, yep. <laughs> um, because for me, it comes from a place of emotional development. Again, that like, yes. if this kiddo is going to be bounced between four to six or, you know, 15 homes, whatever that ends up looking like, I don't yeah. think that's in the best interest of a child. No, I'm, I'm raising children that have living proof of the trauma that the system did to them, not what their biological family did. Yeah. Wow. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. 
The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE for 20% off your order. And I think, you know, we I, we interviewed a birth mom for this series and yeah. just hearing her perspective of like, yeah, I wasn't in a place to give this kiddo the best possible scenario. Yeah. And I think that the emotional intelligence it takes to know that is remarkable. Oh, I listened to that one and I sobbed. She was amazing. It was such, again, in foster care, it very, very rarely is ever a choice that that child is given away or not given away. I don't ever want to say that misspoke, um, that the child is removed. Yeah. And so hearing that someone that had made that decision and yeah, I was blown away by her. Yeah, she's amazing. And also like my heart hurts for these birth parents whose children are really being taken from their care. Yes. They're not being placed. They're being taken. It's being removed, sometimes police involved because it's a physical removal. Yeah. And I cannot imagine that from (laughs) the birth parents perspective. No, I can't. I've I've had the opportunity just a few times, not often, to get close enough to a birth parent to hear about the day their child was removed. And it is, I can't imagine, like, it makes me teary just thinking about it. Like, yeah, 6 a.m., someone knocks on their door and takes their baby away. 
It's wild. And for folks who are listening to this, if you've tuned into the adoptee episode, you'll hear that like she, her mom went out, she's two and a half, her mom went out and never, she was taken from her mom while her mom was out. No goodbye. Her mom didn't know. She came home and her kids were gone. I I can't imagine that. Yeah. So I appreciate you mentioning the compassion for the birth parents that I don't think it's coming from a place. I don't think anybody is like, you know what? I had a chance to do it this one way and I chose to do it this other way. Like, I think everybody is pulling from the toolbox they have and societally have to do a better job. Supporting folks have a different toolbox. Mm-hmm. So you, yeah. you mentioned that you uh, have connected with some birth families or biological families. I don't know if it's necessarily birth mom, but how does that go? Do you often get to like, kind of collaborate with them, work in tandem, build a relationship? What's, what, how, how did you get to, and is that common? <laughs> um, again, it just depends on the case and the circumstances. Sometimes it's not safe to do so. Um, depending on the reason they came into care, we have to have safeguards up. Um, especially they'll have cases that are called high priority or what is it? High profile cases. Mm. And that's something, if, if it's in the news, it's a high profile case. And those are not safe to make connections with. Um, but when it is, it's ideal because if foster care goes correctly, that child's going home. So we want to come alongside that biological family and teach them um, whenever appropriate, or just even be a an outlet for them to kind of ask questions or you know share or you know it's it's in the kid's best interest whenever possible to co-parent with their biological family if that's where they're going to be going. So um, I try to follow their lead on that. There's some parents that I what I always start with, if I, because when you get your child, you don't know the details of the case at all. I get a very generic, they were removed for, it's nine times out of 10, it just says neglect, which could mean so much. Mm. Uh, and so I always start off with a communication log for their very first visit. I write out a letter. I explain who we are, who our family is, kind of give them some peace of mind where their child is. I've had parents that we've had their kid as long-term and they never once respond, but I hear from the workers, they read the book at least. Um, and then I have other ones who are very interested. They want to talk. They want my phone number. They want, sometimes I even have to be like, okay, we got to slow down a little bit, but, um, I just kind of take their lead on it. Some are not in a place to make that relationship. Yeah. Are there legal, um, are there laws in place in terms of protection? I actually just remembered I, in high school, babysat for a family who was, uh, they had a kiddo from foster care and I like couldn't share that this kid was there and like their address or anything like that. Correct. So, and that's where it'll vary um, by state or even by county. Um, in my area, you are allowed to share pictures. You can't share first names. You can't share where you're at, things like that. Um, and so it just depends. There's times, even though I'm allowed to, I don't feel it was appropriate for the case, or I even try to feel out the biological family. If you know it's something they're not comfortable with, it's not my child to be sharing. And so I would just make a point to either kind of blur their face out or if they just, you know, I didn't want them to not be in our family pictures, mm-hmm. but yeah, just kind of be mindful of that. That makes sense. Are you able to travel with kiddos at all? One of the, the adoptive parent who was interviewed said though, a turnoff for her for foster care was that she couldn't cross county lines and her parents lived across the county line. So she was like, for we couldn't us- go to dinner. Absolutely, we could. Um, It would depend on the case. So if they were going to miss a visit, so we were going to be out of town or something, we would either need to make those up ahead of time or make arrangements. 
Some cases they want the biological family's approval if I'm gonna take them over state lines. But for us, we were able to travel as long as it was approved, they knew exactly where we were going and we provided phone numbers or ways to contact us there. Got it. Well, I wanna chat about fostering to adopt and kind of how you fell into that. It sounds like it was not your intention. So kind of how that came about. But also, I guess before we move through that, I wanna look at the system as a whole and say like, uh, are there things that are ha- like, is everyone like, yeah, this is a broken system. We don't know how to fix it. So cheers. Or are people, are there, I guess, uh, groups in place, like think tanks even, that are brainstorming ways to tweak this system? And if so, how do we support that? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, so we do, people definitely realize from a government standpoint and a foster parent standpoint that the system is broken. Um, I've not fact-checked this, but last I saw for year-to-year gain on like foster families for the state, because there's a need, we're at a negative number. We're losing foster families quicker than we're getting them because a lot of families have been burned by the system. Like I will share briefly, our personal is, I was subpoenaed to take the stand against a biological uh, father. Within 24 hours, he had falsely reported that we were abusing the child. I had investigators at my door. And then he proceeded to call every single week. So we went through a series of investigations and they were all cleared. Um, but it was, I as a foster family, it's, it's a lot to be investigated. They come through every inch of your home. They interview your children. I have to strip my children down to their diapers to be checked and things like that. And I just, I understand the importance of investigating foster families. Absolutely. We've seen the news. There's not, people are bad, whether they're biological foster or whatever. But I think considering the circumstances after we were cleared from the first investigation, we probably could have realized you've had her for two years. There hasn't been any issues. Let's look at the circumstances. And like one of the investigations, what her shoes were too tight. Like, so things like that. I wish they had, there'd been some protection for the foster family because that was a lot. And that was a huge deciding factor on closing our license. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have a lot of friends that have gone through similar. I've been told when you become a foster parent, it's not if it's when you will go through an investigation. And so things like that are hard and they're losing foster homes quickly. And so there is a lot of groups that are trying to change legislation or just support foster families or get laws in place that will protect them and still protect bio families. Um, Cause yeah, I, I don't think anybody thinks we shouldn't investigate foster homes. It's just, we should maybe look at more of the circumstances and it shouldn't be investigated maybe the same as a regular call-in. Um, Do you, is there a time limit that like if a kiddo has been in the foster care system for X number of years or months or whatever, that then we're looking toward adoption or is it like once in the foster care system, always in the foster care system? There's, it's, there's rule of thumb and it's never followed. Like for infants, they try to, they want these cases to be done quickly because they, they're finding the longer that we kind of put them in limbo of you're going to be parented by this person this many hours a week and then this pair. So they try to have like a six month, we need to start to make a plan towards permanency, but I've had children that have been in the system for three, four, five, like it's not, there's nothing enforced. Uh-huh. Because I, I guess like for me, I'm like, maybe that's one way that we tweak this system is that like, okay, yeah, we understand that like you need support right now and we're going to put your kiddo in a safe place while you're getting that support. 
And then at a certain timeline for the sake of this kiddo, yes, we're going to look for a permanent placement. That, um, I yeah. agree because something a lot of people don't think about is um, two of my kiddos that work parenting currently, they have a lot of trauma. Um, and one of them is from things that happened to them in utero. There was a lot of drug exposure and things like that. And just a family history of mental health. And now we're dealing with that. Um, the other one, very healthy baby, full term, never any history of drug use. Mom exclusively hand pumped for six months of her being in care to provide that for her. Like this child is very well loved. She has so much attachment issues because she was parented by bio mom, bio dad separately. There was a grandma and she would kind of bounce around. We had her from the time she was three months old until her adoption. However, she was gone four to five days a week on a visit. And so even though when the dust settled and adoption was finalized, she had no secure attachment at all. Mm -hmm. She would go, we were at the park and she would walk up to strangers, hold their hand and walk away. There was no stranger danger. There was no, any kind of healthy bond. Like, yeah, but she would get hurt. She would cry and she would look around and she was fine coming to us. But we weren't, we weren't that caregiver or that we weren't a parent at that point. We were just another person that was familiar and she was okay with. So I feel like if there was some time limits in the system, we could have really prevented a lot of secondary trauma that was caused just from the way things were set up. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. I mean, like like I said, it's attachments at the cornerstone development. And so much. we, um, for folks who don't know, I co-created an emotion processing method, like a how-to guide for building emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And we researched it and we wrote a book on it. And there's a whole chunk of our book that is devoted to attachment because we can't do this work without attachment. Mm -hmm. And we're always then just like two steps forward, three steps back when we don't build that attachment. And you can build it later. Like it's not like a one-stop shop. You didn't get it. You can't build it, but it's harder. Oh yeah. It's harder to build attachment with a three-year-old than it is with an infant that you bring home. Yeah. Cause they've learned already a lot of patterns like, Ooh, yeah. I actually don't know who's going to be here tonight. Yep. Even amongst my children, I always tell people, of course, every adoption story is different, but every foster care story so different. Even if it's the same biological family, if it's different children, the circumstances are crazy. Um, one of our kiddos was born. Mom made it very clear from her first court date. She was good. She, she wasn't in a position to parent, but she also wasn't going to sign over. So six month clock hit, they severed and it was easy, but she didn't want visits. She never wanted anything. And so his attachment is very different because I picked him up. He never left. Mm-hmm. So I, it's funny as they're growing, not funny, but as they're growing up, seeing how dramatically different each child is based on what happened with their case. All right. Let's chat about this foster to adopt situation. So what are the, how do you end up in a scenario where you can adopt? What does that look like? And what led you to say, yeah, we want to choose that path. So there's, I would say two main routes that you can adopt through foster care. So if you were the foster parent, you foster them that whole time. Uh, Termination or severance, it varies which term you use based on it, but it's all parental rights are severed. And I think one thing I want to clear up first is a lot of people, there's a misconception that that can be reversed and parents get them back down the road if they've changed behaviors. No, termination, once it happens, they have a right to appeal, but that's a very short period. If it doesn't get appealed, then yeah, it's, it's finalized. Um, 
if there is no other appropriate home, then the foster parent is given the opportunity. The other route is you can be what's called in Arizona a red file. And it's literally just because they put the kids in a file that's red. <laughs> that's the only reason it's called that. Um, but it is a child who's already had termination happen and they don't have a home. The foster family wasn't interested in adoption for whatever reason. Um, some just choose they don't adopt, period. Um, some it just isn't a good fit for this child. So for that, um, I always kind of warn people that, that want to do that is these kids are typically older because they've already had their whole case. And not always, but a lot of times there's a reason that they haven't been able to find an adoptive home. They're going to have, whether it's health, um, behavioral, they're going to have some stuff going on. And it's going to take a special set of a team of therapists and med doctors and things like that. So just make sure you know what you're getting into. Yeah, they're going to need a lot of support. And I think that that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. So what did it look like for you? Um, for us, uh, we just so happened that our very first placement out the door, we got licensed. It was around, it was lunchtime. So it was a lunchtime on a Monday and I was at the hospital by 4 p.m. picking up. What they told me was going to be a Hispanic baby girl. And I got there and they're like, oh no, it's a Caucasian boy. Like they got the paperwork mixed up, which happens alarmingly often. Mm, um, that's nerve wracking. But he was the one we took him home. Not that you're taking home a different child, just that like the paperwork gets mixed up that frequently. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so often. But yeah, I, uh, we showed up, we, we brought him home and he never left. And so for us, it was, well, our goal was never to adopt. It was very clear that that was our first case out the door. He had never been anywhere else. I couldn't imagine not adopting. So um, very clearly in the case, they knew that was going to be the long-term plan. No family had been approved. And so we, we said absolutely yes. Um, and then our daughter was similar um, as far as she came to us at three months. And hers was a very long and drawn out. We had like over 60 hours of trial. It was, it was a lot. Um, but we, we eventually, she had been with us for so long and we couldn't imagine not adopting. Our son was, or our third was a little different. Um, he actually had what we call a middle mama and he started off in another foster home and they were not an adoptive home. And they knew while his case still had a lot to go, it was pretty clear it would end in adoption. And so we, um, yeah, we made the choice. Our agency presented him to us because they were licensed with the same agency. And we said, yeah, absolutely. We had kind of known him, we friends of friends type thing, and we'd seen him and things like that. So when we found out he was available, we knew we were hoping to adopt again. So yeah, he was moved to us. With your daughter for yes. the like 60 hours of court jazz, yes. uh, probably another word other than jazz that fits <laughs> that, but, uh, did you, are you responsible for the legal fees in that? None. Um, so it, it, this again, it'll vary, but in Arizona, uh, you don't pay anything. So okay. the adoption is covered by the state. And the other huge benefit is they have insurance until they're 18 or graduate high school. Oh, wow. Cool. Through the yeah. state. So that burden, um, it doesn't fall on the family. We can, of course, add them to our private insurance. So they'll have dual coverage. But mm -hmm. yes, they are insured because they know kids that are adopted from foster care, no matter how healthy and great they are, they're considered a special needs adoption because right. they're probably going to need to be services. Yeah, for sure. That makes total sense. Um, okay. So that explains, cause it's like, we spend a crazy, I guess not crazy amount, but we spend a lot on foster care that I didn't realize as a nature. Yes. It's like 
$4.3 billion a oh, year. Yeah. And it's it makes expensive. sense now with the insurance included and all that jazz. Yeah, insurances uh, include everything. Okay. Well, that's nice. I like that yeah, they are getting access. The, yeah, some states do have to pay the legal fees, but almost every attorney I know will discount those deeply. Mm-hmm. You are nowhere close to private adoption costs. It's normally 2000 or less. Okay. And then for your daughter, you said it was a longer process. Were you like fighting for her? Was the family not down to terminate those rights? Like what? So, yeah, we, um, the biological father was not. That was a long drawn out. Um, the biological mother was not until the very end. She actually, it was, we were in the middle of trial and she decided to sign her rights over and testify against dad for the final kind of So. Yeah, um, that was, it's the way that we do it in Arizona, as far as um, we don't ever get a choice to fight for them per se. I was only, um, that was the case I was a witness on the stand. And that was only because I had witnessed some things that needed to be brought to the court's attention. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, as far as we're not a party, we don't have an attorney for ourselves. We don't get, as far as you say, like a stake in the game. It's, we are there, whatever the outcome is, we just have to accept so in this case, it's the advocate for the child who's saying yes. there should not be reunification and we're going to fight for that. Correct. Typically, not always, um, the advocate for the child and the state's attorney will be on the same side. Okay. Um, typically, whatever the state feels is best, the, every once in a while that varies, but you could technically have three different parties arguing three different things mm-hmm. before the judge. Interesting. Okay. And so then you're just waiting to hear like, all right is she going to be available for adoption? Correct. And then once that's a yes, then they say, hey, want to be that fam for her? Exactly. Okay. It's not fine. And that's what we always tell people. It's not final till it's final. I've had someone, they've got an adoption date next week and a grandparent came forward and took the child. So yeah, it's, it's not final till the judge signs the order. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I can't <laughs> imagine that from I, yeah. a mental health standpoint. Again, no. for the kid or for you, yeah. not to just like go all Hollywood on you, but I thought instant <laughs> family. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you might be like, oh my God, it's a terrible representation. No, of- it's one of the better ones I've ever seen for sure. Okay, cool. I was full sobbing, like aggressively sobbing, like, yes. you know, <laughs> blowing your nose into tissues. And I was like, first of all, a part of, this is where I was like, reinforced in my beliefs of foster care already and was just like I cannot imagine again for the kiddos and for the foster family the like immediate separation with no warning yep blows my mind well hey there busy mama are you looking for ways to make your life easier your home less chaotic and at the same time add more joy to your life my name is Deanna Yates and I'm the host of wannabe clutter free a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. 
My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. I have literally had, um, we were getting ready for dinner. Somebody knocked on the door and said, I'm here for so-and-so. And that was it. I didn't get a call. And that's just, it's hard because there's no processing. They yeah, and for that kid. Scrambling to get their clothes and the kid, like the child was sleeping still. They were still taking a late nap because we had just done a bunch of stuff. And yeah, I'm waking up a child to hand them to someone they've never met. Oh, my heart breaks for that kid because yeah. they, I mean, we set up transition schedules for a new school, for a new classroom, for a new sibling. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like we're going to, even if I'm like, Hey, I'm going to switch up our normal routine of like a library and then lunch. Like, yes. <laughs> I'm going to set up a transition schedule for you for a kid to just, it just automatically immediately be pulled from, from their current yeah. home blows my mind. Exactly. Uh, these are tweaks I would like to make foster care yeah. system. And it's so hard because. For the foster family, we do not have support as far as we do not get mental health services. We don't have counselors. We don't have anyone we can talk to. That's all on us. And a lot of times if you seek that out and it's written in your psyche, like, cause we have, um, mm. we don't do psyche valves, but we do get a behavioral health. It'll come up and they'll question why you, why you have a therapist and things like that. So because we should all have therapists. Foster right? <laughs> yeah, no, it should, you should be rewarded for getting mental yes, health support. You get a gold star for getting help when you needed it. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, that got me fired up inside. <laughs> uh, okay. So then your last tiny human that you were talking about, your, your yes. last little dude seemed pretty straightforward to me. I don't think I had any questions. Yeah. Do you, if a sibling, any one of them had a sibling born, do you guys get priority again for as a foster and then foster to adopt? Correct. So, um, that's the interesting thing. All of my children have siblings, lots of siblings, and obviously none of them are with them. But if a new child is born to any of their parents, we would get the first call. Um, it's still not, once we've adopted, we're now considered biology. Even though we don't share that, we right. would align with anybody who is biologically related. They call it fictitious kin. So yeah. Um, so yes, we would, in theory, if the system goes right, of course, it's very often um, we had a situation, one of our kiddos did have a sibling born and they just didn't follow that procedure. They placed them elsewhere, but they, they've since been reunified and we don't know where they are now. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's gotta be so hard. Um... <laughs> it's so hard to have an attachment to a child that you've never met that just shares your child's a biology like yeah I've never met this baby boy and I know he's out there and it kills me I just I constantly think about I hope he's safe I don't even know where he is totally yeah I think it would for sure keep me up at night not yes. that it should keep you up at night <laughs> not what I'm saying <laughs> no, there but it <laughs> for sure yeah would. I mean at least they're older siblings I whether we have contact or not some we do some we don't I know where they are and I know yeah. they're being cared for but 
yeah, the unknown is so hard. So hard. Uh, are all of the adoptions out of foster care closed adoptions? That's a hundred percent your choice. Um, I've had ones where they highly suggest we're closed for safety reasons. So each of my kids has a, um, a different degree of contact. So um, our oldest, we very, very loosely, um, and this was mom's kind of choice. We've, I think we've exchanged maybe three or four emails ever. Um, she's just not in a place that she wants to parent or really wants to know a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to kind of make contact with her right after adoption for the first time. It took a while just to track her down. Yeah. Um, and also, she- t- real quick, cheers to her for, again, knowing that and stepping back yeah. because I can o- I can't even imagine yeah. like how hard it must be to be like, I know I have a kiddo out there somewhere and yeah. I'm going to choose not to have contact because I'm not in a place to do so. I, yeah, it's, it, it's hard because the very first time I made contact with her, um, because we don't know a lot, I, I do, she, she knows a fake name for us. She doesn't know our actual name or information. And that's just because I don't, there's not a lot known about her. Um, uh-huh. And so she immediately wanted to call and explain. And I, I, I told her that's not necessary. You don't owe me an explanation at all. Um, she occasionally around his birthday will ask how he's doing. Um, mm-hmm. She doesn't remember what she named him. So that's difficult. She just calls him her baby. but. Um, yeah, she, she, I kind of let her lead that. She's not somebody, she's never asked to see him. She's never asked details. She just wants to know that he's okay. And yeah. so that's, yeah, that's great. I'll share a couple pictures with her and that's where we're at. Um, my daughter, we have chosen for safety reasons to have no ties with the biological family. Um, and then for my son, we have a PO box and one parent is incarcerated. So he actually writes us very frequently. We'd get a letter probably two or three times a month. And the great thing with that is it opened the door to family history of medical stuff and all of that, which we don't have on any of our other kiddos. Um, and then mom is not in a place where she she could, like mentally, she really wanted to parent and she fought hard, but she's just not physically capable of parenting. Um, so I think I've, she was the one that asked for the PO box and we've only heard from her once in the last year and a half. And I think she, she struggled with homelessness and things like that. So I hope that she's in a good place but we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for your tiny humans, how do, first of all, are they all like in therapy consistently, again, mental health wise? And then furthermore, like, are there times in their lives where you, do they know, I guess, A, (laughs) like the, any, uh, what do they know? And at what ages have you disclosed things to them? And B, are there times where you'll be like, yeah, if you want to contact them, here you go. Like, how does that work for you? Okay. There's a lot to digest there. So yeah, it's through like eight questions. That <laughs> no, 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 you're good. All like, the things. Because <laughs> all of their stories are different. I tend to like kind of break down, like here's this one, this one, and this one. Mm-hmm. So my five-year-old, he, well, all of them know they're adopted. And the nice thing was that we fostered while we had all of them. So they kind of have seen kids come and go. Uh-huh which also though created some insecurities on, do I have to go? Um, So, but my oldest, he is very understanding that he did not grow in my stomach. He grew and he calls her miss, whatever he Uh uses her first name. Um, We tried birth mom and just including that mom was a lot of insecurity for him. So we just, we call her miss, whatever. Um, His bio dad's unknown. So I, I haven't, he's asked that before. And I, I told him, unfortunately, I don't know anything. Um, 
He still hasn't fully figured out that it takes two to make a baby. So mm-hmm. we're, we're good there. Right. <laughs> but he, um, he has a biological brother who we actually fostered for a long time. Um, it was decided by his psychiatrist that it wasn't a good fit to have him in a home with younger children. Mm-hmm. So he's adopted by another family and we do get to see him. Um, it's funny. He calls him brother T, but I don't think he understands like that. That is his brother. I right. think it's, that's his name, but, um, his, I, I would a hundred percent be open to, you know, this is what I know about your mother. And I don't know if she's going to be in a place to want that contact, but, um, we've, we've decided with our kids because of the situation of where they've come from and how we wouldn't really give that information until they're adults and can kind of really make an informed decision on, you can reach out to them, but this is the reasons you were taken away. And so I don't know that it's safe to do so, but that's going to be their decision. Yeah. Um, oh, it's so hard to navigate like when that even, <laughs> when even give that information from again, like a prefrontal cortex brain yeah, development well, perspective. And what we're running into is, so he, for our youngest does have behavioral health services, um, but the other two, we haven't needed it as of right now. Our daughter, we did some attachment therapy at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now we're in a place we haven't seen the need for it as of yet. If we do, it's available to us um, because of the circumstances of their removal. We're starting to run into um, some developmental disorder or like some developmental delays, some learning disabilities, um, things that happen to their brains when they were in utero. And so trying to explain to them that, you know, I mean, not that any child, it's their fault, but trying to explain that while this happened to you, this is not an excuse just to not do anything. We need to work through that. So um, there, all of our kiddos are in some form of like occupational therapy or speech or things like that to kind of keep them level with their peers. And they're just starting to understand, like my oldest, he's starting to ask a lot more questions. And I just explained that, you know what, some stuff happened and your brain is a little different on how it's wired, but we're going to work through that. And we're going to get you the support so that you're not going to have any struggles with that. Yeah. Um, so for our daughter, there is a, a, a big safety concern of her knowing her biological family. Mm-hmm. So we haven't fully figured out how we're going to do that. Cause I know she's got siblings and I can assume, at least I know I would, when she gets older, she's going to want to know them. And there's, and the hard thing is the siblings are spread out. So some are with a, you know, a maternal grandmother, some are, uh, yeah, it's hard. So we haven't fully figured out how we're going to present that information to her and still protect her. Yeah. Because um, I can just imagine where I was as a, you know, 18, 19 year old little girl, you want to find your roots, but that really may burn you. Um, it may hurt her more than it will help for sure. A thousand percent. Um, and like, I don't know, I, I know exactly where I was as an 18, 19 yes. <laughs> year old. I was not at all no. in a place to, to process this or even to navigate that. And I can't imagine that responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's concerns for her physical safety that yeah. I just, I can't, I don't know how we're going to do that. Cause I don't want to lie and just be like, oh, I don't know who they are, but totally. Um, I could see the biological mother at some point, maybe um, being safe. But again, it's just, I think only time will tell. Yeah. And she just started to notice. Um, we have pictures, of course, all over our house. She asked me one day why she doesn't have any baby, baby pictures. And we have nothing of, like, it kills me that I have no newborn pictures of her. I have nothing from the day she was arrived. And so I've had to explain that her story is different. And it's going to, I didn't take her home from the hospital and I didn't know the people that did. So I just, there's that gap of the first three months of her life that I don't have answers for. I don't have family history for. Mm -hmm. I can't tell her a lot that she wants to know. 
Oh, it's so frustrating. I feel like yes. you're probably living in a land consistently, both with the developmental delays and, and learning challenges, yeah. and also with things like your daughter wanting to nice of just like empathizing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, um, really disappointing that we don't know this or really yeah. frustrating that it's harder for your brain to learn this now and yes. validating how yeah. hard that is. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, our youngest, um, it's again, his biological father has been incarcerated his whole life. So we don't know what the future on that is. Um, some background, my husband's father has actually been in and out of prison. So he had that heart already mm-hmm. where he saw that had his mother made different choices, he could have so easily been in the foster system. So I love that he'll be able to kind of work through that with him as he's old enough at three, he could care less, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, and then his, his mother, I'm, I don't know where she'll be or uh, it's hard because we don't have any way to keep tabs on her. We don't, I couldn't get in contact with her if I wanted to right now. So I think um, she was a parent I was able to come alongside a lot and got to know well, um, especially because there's a lot of health issues that I needed to know history on. So it was a priority to really build a strong relationship with her when the case was going on. Um, So yeah, as of right now, when he's older, I have no problem giving him any of that information. I just don't know if he's going to be successful. And I hope that they're all, when they are old enough, going to be in a place where they don't, I don't know. I know they're going to want to find that family. They're going to want to find their roots, but I hope that they're mentally in a place that they're going to understand that where those roots are, does not, doesn't dictate who they are. Like just because they've made those choices, it doesn't mean that that's what life they're going to have. Yeah. I have a friend who is an adoptee and she actually has no desire to find her birth family. And for her, she's like, it's just not my family. Like I, I grew up with a family and that's my family. And I I think for everybody, it's going to be different. I I struggle to want that. And then there's part of me that thinks it's selfish for wanting that, but that's what I, I hope for my children is that they have no doubts on, we talk often and openly about all forms of adoption. I honestly, my five-year-old got in trouble at preschool because he told the kid that his mommy loves him more because she adopted him. And I'm like, no, buddy. <laughs> so I want them though. I, a big priority for me is for them to be confident in their adoption story forward and back because the world is cruel and eventually someone will challenge them on it. And I want them to not have any doubts. Yeah, that's awesome. Actually in the episode, ooh, I think it's 13, uh, on gender, I interviewed trans dad, Tristan Reese, yeah. and he said something that has stuck with me for a long time. And I feel like I repeat it on this podcast all the time uh, because I love him. But he said that we have to prepare our kiddos for the world they live in and also encourage them to make it better and to change it. But they yes. have to know how to survive in the world they live in. Yes, and I agree talking about that from a gender perspective and that his kids are being raised with gay dads and one's trans and just like how convoluted and challenging that can be, even though in their little bubble, it's not. Yes, it might be exactly. someday and he wants them to have the tools to navigate that. Yes. I, I love that. And yeah, I dig it too. It applies to so many things where I'm oh, like, yeah. Oh, but I don't want that to be the case. I don't want them to have to deal with X, <laughs> Y, and Z. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, me neither, but they will right now. Yeah. Uh, and they need a so true. to navigate that. Cool. Thank you so much for <laughs> sharing your stories and your kiddos' stories and diving into this with me, man. It is a, it's a doozy. 
it is. It's a lot. It's, there's, there's days, yeah, it's hard that, I mean, none of my kids have are wheelchair bound or things like that, but I tell every foster parent that has adopted that you are a special needs mom. Whether you recognize that or not, you are. It's just what degree, and it's a lot to navigate, and you can't do it alone. Yeah, that makes total sense. Well, every kid in the world, I wish we would stop saying things like individualized education plan, um, because I think every kid <laughs> learns differently. It's just figuring out like what makes this human thrive. And if that's OT, awesome. If that's speech, awesome. If that is a sensory seat to sit, whatever it is that makes you thrive, great. (laughs) Let's figure that out. But adding, again, for me, the attachment trauma uh, is just another ball game that is really, really, really hard to uh, move forward from. So cheers to you um, for navigating that with those three humans. And if people are interested in learning more about foster care or would like to connect with you, where could they do that? Um, the best place is my Instagram. I really try, even though we're no longer in the foster world, I try at least weekly to talk about it because I feel like more than half my followers found me for that. Um, and so I'm over there at the Manny Mom, M-A-N-I-M-O-M. Great. We'll link to that. We'll link to that in the blog post and show notes. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you being here with us. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, Search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.